Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibbyverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Viola Shipman is the pen name of the author Wade Rouse. A Wish for Winter is by Viola Shipman. Wade also writes books under his own name. It's a little confusing, but I talk all about it to him in this podcast. 
Wade is the USA Today Publishers Weekly and internationally best-selling author of 15 books, including five memoirs and 10 novels. Wade's books have been translated into 21 languages and have been bestsellers across the world. He chose his grandmother's name, Viola Shipman, as a pen name to honor the working poor Ozarks woman whose sacrifices changed his family's life and whose memory inspires his fiction. He published three new books in 2022. They include his latest novel, The Edge of Summer, which came out in July, inspired by his grandmother's buttons and button jars, which was an instant national and indie bestseller. Magic Season came out in May. It was his first memoir in a decade about how the love of baseball was the only thing to bond him and his Ozarks father, which was a Barnes & Noble Father's Day selection, a USA Today summer reading sports book selection, and a best book of summer by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. His winter-slash-Christmas novel, A Wish for Winter, just came out and has already been selected as a November Meyer Book Pick Club and hailed by the New York Times bestselling authors Susan Mallory and Cheryl Woods, Sweet Magnolias, and many others. A noted humorist and memoirist, Wade was a finalist for the Goodreads Choice Awards in Humor, he lost to Tina Fey, and was named by Writer's Digest as the number two writer, dead or alive, we'd like to have drinks with. Wade's previous novels include his first holiday winter book, The Secret of Snow, which was an instant national and indie bestseller, The Summer Cottage, The Clover Girls, The Charm Bracelet, The Hope Chest, The Recipe Box, and The Heirloom Garden. His books have been selected multiple times as must-reads by NBC's Today Show, featured in the Washington Post, USA Today, on Chelsea Lately, and chosen as indie next picks by the nation's independent booksellers. His writing has appeared in a diverse range of publications and media, including Coastal Living, Time, All Things Considered, People, Good Housekeeping, Parade, Salon, Forbes, Writer's Digest, and Publishers Weekly. Wade earned his BA from Drury University and his master's in journalism from Northwestern. He divides his time between Sagatuck, Michigan, and Palm Springs, California, and is an acclaimed writing teacher who has mentored numerous students to becoming published authors. Wade hosts the popular Facebook Live Literary Happy Hour, Wine and Words with Wade, Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. on his Viola Shipman author page, where he talks writing inspiration and hope, among others. Welcome, Wade. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me very much. I appreciate it, and I adore you. Oh, I adore you, too. (laughs) So glad we got to know each other last summer. That was super fun. Me, too. Me, too. I feel like I always say there are people in the world that... You know, I, I do believe in these God winks, and I believe that that certain people are meant to come into your universe, and you're one of them. So I, I'm really glad this this happened, and I'm excited to talk to you today. Oh, I love that. God winks. That's, I love that. That's so nice. Okay. First of all, you are not only Wade, but you are Viola Shipman. Explain why you have manufactured two of you and what <laughs> and the, the reasoning behind it, when that started and sort of the evolution of these two brands that you're managing. Yeah, you know, it's. Um, I always think people think it sounds like a literary Victor, Victor Victoria a little <laughs> bit. You know, they expect me to show up in like a wig and a house dress. <laughs> you know, I chose my grandmother's pen name for a deeply personal reason. I actually started my career writing humorous memoir more along the lines of like David Sedaris or um, Nora Ephron, Irma Bombeck, one of my idols. And um, there was a point in my life when... I'd lost my mother. Um, my father was battling dementia and things really weren't super fun anymore to write about in my life. And I happened upon all of my grandmother's heirlooms boxed up in my dad's attic. And I think, you know, instinct for most people is just kind of 
estate sale them, get rid of them, throw them away. But I found all of these belongings that, you know, were like her charm bracelets and recipe boxes and quilts and her sewing machine and all of these things that meant the world to her. My grandma Shipman was a working poor seamstress. She never finished grade school. She never learned to drive. She walked to work every day at a factory stitching overalls just, just to make enough money to put food on her family's table. Um, my grandpa was an ore miner. Um, when that work dried up, he raked rocks on farmers' fields to make extra cash. And um, they knew their life was hard, and they sacrificed everything for their family, and they saved change. Truly, they saved pennies and nickels and dimes for my my mom in a crock in their garage until it got full, and they took it to the community bank and started a college fund. And she was the first in our family to go to college and broke that cycle. So when I found all these things, I'm a writer that is inspired by depth of memory and very deeply personal things. And I just remembered my grandmother and she was the most unselfish, kindest human being in the world. And I started writing a novel on top of a cardboard box that day with a with a pencil. And, you know, I told my agent that I wanted to write fiction using my grandmother's name. And she's like, you know, are you are your meds? <laughs> and it was I just felt called to do it. And it took me three years to write my first novel, which was The Charm Bryce that my agent kept sending me back over and over because she said, you only get one chance to write a women's fiction novel perfectly. And if you don't, it's over. Um, and I did. And, you know, to me, using her name is just the smallest thank you that I can give to a woman that gave me everything. You know, I would not, you know, I. long story shorter, I grew, you know, I, growing up, gay in the Missouri Ozarks in the 1970s, I had a target on my back. And my grandmother provided me with unconditional love and support. And she volunteered at the library and she pushed books into my hand and made sure that reading and uh, literature were front and center in my life, even though she never, ever (laughs) finished school. And, you know, people are going to say her name in a hundred years long after I'm gone. And that's, that's really what matters to me is that connection back to who we are and who we were. Wait, I don't want you to make that story shorter. I want to make that story longer. <laughs> Tell me what that was like and, and then how did books help you through it? Oh my gosh. You know, um, the local library growing up for me was my refuge. Um, the librarians were my friends. My Both of my grandmothers were my best friends. I didn't, you know, being out and about in rural America, I always say if you've seen the show Ozarks, they actually kind of soft pedaled it. It was much rougher than that for me in the 70s. You know, just this this was not what boys were supposed to look like or act like in, in rural America. And my grandmother pretty much saved my life. And she taught me that being the way I was was grand. Being different was amazing. And as soon as we lose that piece of ourselves, we lose everything and to never stop being who I was. Um, so that carried me through my whole life. And, you know, it, you know, times in your life where, you know, all a kid wants to do is fit in. You know, we want to be accepted and liked. And if we're not, it makes it that much harder. And it, it's hard to be different when you're young. You don't want to be. And so... You know, I always kind of held that close to me and it sang to me the older I got. So I'm glad I did. Wow. So your latest, so in the summer, you had The Edge of Summer. Now you have A Wish for Winter. Go through both of those books and what they're about because it could be like a box set, you know. 
You can be like a, it's like a holiday box set. Yeah, yeah. You know, the edge of summer was inspired by my grandmother's buttons and button jars of all things being a, you know, being a seamstress. Um, she would come home every night and she would sew for her own enjoyment. And she made most of my clothes growing up. And I saved when I found all the stuff in the attic, I saved her buttons and her sewing basket. Um, and they have a place of honor and or cottage in Michigan on a shelf. Um, and I passed it one day and the light was hitting it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, these are lovely. And, you know, I took them out and played with them like I did as a kid. And we have to remember back to the time when there were no plastic buttons and there were no zippers. There were these beautiful buttons that were handmade in the U.S., in the Great Lakes area mostly, um, that were made, you know, sent around the world and into people's sewing baskets. And they were gorgeous. And, um, you know, when my grandmother was, when I was with her and she would sew, she would often just go to Goodwill and get hand-me-down blouses, but rip all the buttons off and put pretty ones on to make it new again for mm. herself. So all of that kind of perkled in my mind a little bit. And I started doing a history of the button industry in America. And it's fascinating how these buttons were made. And it's just, a, it's a story of a woman who loses her mother to COVID. And the only thing that she's left are all of these sewing notions. And her mother really was very secretive and protective of her. And like so many of us, she goes out in search of who she really was. She quits her job. She's a fashion designer and kind of heads off into the world to find out who her mother really was and who she is. And it's a beautiful story of self-discovery with a great history of a little known history of America in it. And it's a gorgeous book with a lot of sewing. If you're, if you're a sewer or you love fashion, it's a book for you. You know, a lot of fashion designers that I know really helped me kind of walk, walk in her shoes. And then A Wish for Winter is inspired by my grandma, of course, and the Sears Wish book, which I had growing up, which was the world in the 70s. And it's about a 40-year-old independent bookseller named Susan, who's named after the little girl in Miracle on 34th Street, whose mother and grandmother both met their future husbands while he was dressed as Santa Claus. And uh, Susan feels like it's been her destiny and curse living in northern Michigan to meet a man the same way, and the entire town set her up with every <laughs> awful man wearing a cap. And so she's given up. She's 40. She's done. And her best friend encourages her to go to the Santa run in Chicago, which is a real thing. It's a 10K where everybody dresses up as Santa or Mrs. Claus. And she goes dressed as Mrs. Claus because her grandmother and grandfather who helped raise her still dress every December as, as Mr. and Mrs. Claus and come to the bookstore and greet all the kids, take pictures and she meets a guy at the start of the race that she feels for the first time in her life she has an instant connection with. And before they can see each other's faces or get each other's names, the race starts and they're torn apart. And he yells at her to meet her at a local bar and she shows up and he doesn't. And she's, you know, finito, I'm done. And she goes back to her bookstore right before the start of the holidays. And behind her back, her grandparents and all of her friends and her bookstore employees started an online dating app called The Single Kringle to find this guy, because how difficult can it be? <laughs> <laughs> and so on the surface, it sounds very much like an Emily Henry rom-com, but all of my novels really have a much deeper piece. And, you know, I don't write holiday books that are just shiny perfection. Um, this is about a woman who lost her parents when she was young and has never learned to forgive herself or um, others in the town. And it's, you know, a book really about we can't love another unconditionally until we truly learn to love ourselves unconditionally. And it was inspired by the loss of my brother at a young age and how that kind of 
shape-shifted our holidays and turned everything on its head. And much of Susan's emotions are mine. You know, it's just you, I fell in love later in life. I never really liked myself for a long time. And I always wanted and felt I deserved to be loved, but I never liked myself enough to open myself fully. Um, so that's what, that's really what the undercurrent of the book is about. You know, on the surface, it's a beautiful, funny, romantic comedy, but, you know, it's also about dealing with grief at the holidays. And so many of us, it's not that shiny perfection at the holiday season that so many of us believe it or want it to be. We're all dealing with something. And that's what I love to write about during these these winter and holiday books. Wow. Can you talk more about what happened with your brother? Yeah, he was, um, he when he was 17 years old, it was during the summer, right before the 4th of July holiday. And um, he was had a, a summer job and he was um, killed on a one lane bridge in our little town um, by a truck driver that had fallen asleep at the wheel. But, you know, my brother was everything I was not. He was a true country guy, you know, you know fished and, you know, tinkered with engines and all of that stuff. And he was also my protector. You know, nobody, nobody could pick on me in the little town if he was around. So I felt for many years that, you know, that there had been a, a mistake that had been made and that it should have been me um, because oh. I felt I would never give my parents what they wanted and I felt they needed, which would be, you know, family and grandchildren. So that's, that's, what I lived with, and I think so many of us on different levels live with during their lives. And, you know, it made me the person I am today because I finally learned not to push it aside, but to embrace it. And that's when I that's when I started writing. My first book was a memoir about growing up gay in the Missouri Ozarks. Um, first book I wrote, published, uh, my agent sold it in like three days to Dutton at Penguin at the time. And it changed my life. Um, that opened up a whole avenue. Um, so, you know, it's for anybody watching, please, you know, I hope that you you allow yourself to embrace your grief and to also forgive yourself at some point. So, oh my gosh, what a story. I'm so sorry about your brother. And thank you, thank you for talking so openly about it. When you had your first book sell so quickly and it all came out, that must have been such a life-changing thing for someone who had been relatively private and all, like what, so tell me about that period of time for you. You're exactly right. I mean, you, you know, I lied for many years in my life, you know, I was, you know, straight and, <laughs> and, uh, it, I, when I started writing this book, the one thing, and I teach this to every aspiring writer is there is the piece of writing, but there's a bigger psychological piece. And the psychological piece is that you cannot be afraid. You know, we're taught in our life to be afraid from a very early age. You know, we're afraid of pursuing our dreams. We're afraid of being ourselves. We're um, afraid when we start writing that it's going to stink, um, that it'll never be published. We'll never make a dime off of it. You know, should be getting dinner on the table for the kids or getting them to soccer practice or mowing the lawn or doing my real job. And bad things happen from here to here when you um, when that happens, when you let fear win. And I had to unlearn all of that with that first book. You, you know, I was relying on the voice, um, but I was also reliant on knowing that readers, I was a big reader, incredibly smart. And 
you can't sugarcoat. You can't take a shortcut. You have to be brutally, brutally honest, not only with them, but with yourself. And when you do that, and you know this, you know this, when you do that, 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 that cork is unleashed in many ways. I don't even know if that's the best analogy. And things pour out of you. And when you allow that to happen, readers are changed, often in ways you never, ever imagined it. They're, they're taken by different parts of the story, but they're mostly taken by your honesty. And that's what changed me greatly, not only my writing process, but my entire life. Wow. And probably the feedback from the readers. <laughs> I encourage you to do more. I mean, some of your books, and you're so funny too. I mean, the titles alone, and I have to go back now and read all of these books, but you're so funny. I just have to read these for people listening. Okay. I'm not the biggest bitch in this relationship. <laughs> and there's a picture of a dog with a crown. Hilarious, heartwarming tales about man's best friend from America's favorite humorist. Okay, that's your anthology. So then you have all of your Viola Shipman pieces. Confessions of a Prep School Mommy Handler, which I definitely have to read. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. At least in the city, someone would hear me scream, misadventures in search of the simple life. It's all relative. Two families, three dogs, 34 holidays, and 50 boxes of wine. And then you have a a more poignant one, Magic Season, a son's story, which I would also love for you to talk about. Yeah. And I've I've got to say this to you, Zibi. You've got to, okay, if you start Magic Season and um, Confessions of a Prep School Mommy Handler, because my previous career before I was an author, I was a PR and communications director and educational uh, institutions for about 20 years. And one of them was a very elite prep school. And I was, it was one of the nation's oldest boys schools was merging with one of the nation's oldest girls schools. Huge, huge thing. And I was kind of brought in to oversee the merger and the communications and make everything okay, as best as you could. I was not this was back in the day, and I was not particularly treated well by some of the mothers at the school, especially for being closeted. Many of them knew that, um, how they treated me, how they kind of held that over my head. And this is the funniest, the funniest book about private school education, I think the most honest, and also just about, it's, a, it's really a book about self-esteem, you know, how I had a lack of self-esteem, but also how many of these other people that treated me badly had a lack of self-esteem as well. They just they just had more money in which to um, make their voices heard. But we were on the same level emotionally, and it's a be- it's a very funny book. And then at least in the city, someone would hear me scream. It's about a gay couple moving from the city to the woods in Michigan and thinking it'd be like Thoreau, and it sucked. <laughs> You know, it moved in February. The resort town is cute. It shuts down. It's just, you know, it's, you know, everybody's in camo and buying ammo. And it's like, what have we done? And that's a book that um, is, I've always said, should be like a sitcom. It's the best. It's the best. And it's been off and on optioned a number of times. But most people have wanted to make it a a husband-wife. Mm. vehicle. And I'm like, mm, that's yeah. not, that's not what it should be. So holding out on that one. And then magic season is a memoir I wrote that came out in May and it it's, oh my gosh, it's a piece of my heart. It's my first memoir in a decade. And it's about 
the very tumultuous relationship I had with my Ozarks father, who was a highly combative, highly um, conservative, unevolved emotionally <laughs> man. And the only thing that bonded us was our love of baseball and the St. Louis Cardinals. And so the book goes inning by inning over the very last baseball game we ever watched together. And he would die two weeks later after that and just kind of looks at our relationship and truly how I never gave up on him, much like I never gave up on the Cardinals. You know, a true fan always thinks there's going to be a better year ahead. And that's the way it was with him. And uh, it's a book that asks why why I probably didn't walk away from him. I'm someone that was could be very abusive to me. But my mother was a hospice nurse and she taught me all about unconditional love. And, you know, that is a very rare thing in this world to love somebody unconditionally because most of our relationships are based on conditions. You know, I love you if you do this for me or I love you, but you better. And I just tried to love my father unconditionally, faults and all, and understand why he was the way he was. And um, it changed my life and it changed our relationship at the end. I don't think it's something many people could do or choose to do, but it was, I felt like it's what I had to do to move on in my life. It's, it's a beautiful book. It was a USA Today, um, you know, best Father's Day and Barnes and Noble best Father's Day book. So I'm very proud of it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh my gosh, Wade, you're so prolific and so sort of soulful. All these books, I mean, even the humor, the humor, the pain, you're using all of your emotions, fiction, nonfiction to connect. I mean, that's really what you're, you're doing. You're connecting and allowing like every nerve ending. It's, it's like you're... Yeah. You know, you've like unspooled so that you can connect in as many places as possible. It's really amazing that you can use language in this way and writing as a tool to to do this. Did you ever think this is how things would go? Like, did you ever like to write as a kid or feel like, oh, I wish I could do this or read a book that you're like, like, how did you even turn to this 
medium it's, it's, essentially. It's, it's um, and you put your finger on it. You know, it's I always call it the three H's. It's you know, it's humor and heartache mm-hmm. are intimately intertwined. You know, why are funny people often funny? It's one to bring you in, but it's also to kind of keep you at a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I would say those two H's lead equal honesty. And that's that's really what it's about. You know, I my grandmother, one of my first early gifts that she got me was uh, Aquamarine Selectric typewriter. And she, my mother and grand, both of my grandmothers and my mother always said that writing would be maybe a way that I could make sense of things in my world. You know, in my room, I could sit and write about what I was feeling or, you know, put it in a notebook. And I started doing that as I, on the typewriter. And there was a seminal moment in middle school when I was, um, my gosh, how old was I? I think it was maybe fifth grade or so. And I signed up for a talent contest, which was a horrible mistake. And I sang Delta Dawn. Awful decision. Would you like, you would know, you like to reenact it now, perhaps? I could. I'm, it's not, I don't do a bad Tanya Tucker version. And I was holding a faded rose. And I got I got heckled off stage, ran off crying. And I was furious at my mother and my grandmothers. I'm like, how could you let me do that? And they're like, you were being you. We can't stop that. And they gave me like a journal and they gave me Irma Bombeck books. And they said, just maybe start whatever. You're a funny kid. You're a sensitive boy. Just maybe start putting some of what you're feeling down. And that's what I started doing. I always wanted to write, you know, but... Again, my dad was a chemical engineer. You go to college, normal people don't do the arts. It's not, you're not going to make a living. It's not going to happen. So you're highly discouraged from a young age, from even your passion. So I channeled that to journalism, got my master's degree in journalism at Northwestern, and then um, went into PR to make more money. And all of that was kind of a side hustle to writing, but nothing that ever made me complete and happy. And I remember one day my mother and my husband, Gary, right before New Year's said, you know, why don't you just write a book? And I'm like, is it that easy? You just write a book? (laughs) And it is. I think there's a point, you know, in which you have to put it on the line. And you know this too. You want to and you feel like you can't or aren't worthy or it's not going to happen, but you do. And when you allow yourself to do that, it could be writing a book, it could be painting, it could be pursuing a new career, things open and change. And you, I think like you, you've become the person you were meant to be by allowing yourself to do that. We have to allow ourselves to do that too. Um, and that's how I feel. I mean, that's just the world can change. So true. Oh my gosh. Thanks for saying that about me too. Uh, but it's true. You know what intimately, I mean, you have followed a very similar path and it is, it is never easy. Every writer needs to know the path is very different for each person, but it's also very similar to sit down alone, alone and write. That never changes. And it's the most beautiful, horrifying, stupendous journey um, that anyone can take. What do you think about people not reading enough or mm. the reading rate? I've been like sort of consumed by this and wondering what your thoughts are that, you know, obviously in the pandemic, everybody read more, we were all at home, blah, blah, blah. But now like everyone's back to being busy and the trends are not good for books, but that hasn't dissuaded a single writer 
I mean, the urge to write is sort of fundamental, right? And you're not going to not do it because like readers are busy on TikTok or something. So, but, but what do we make? What, what, is there a world out there where all these books just sit dusty and nobody's reading them? I don't know. That's like my horror story. I think it's, I truly think it's a cyclical process. You know, we were, you look years, just a few years ago, you know, oh my gosh, ebooks are going to take over the world. Uh, print books are gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would, those were the headlines, Publishers Weekly, everywhere you looked. And it kind of came full circle. You know, it, it got to a saturation level and then it returned. I think that's the same thing. People were home during COVID and reading like crazy. Now it's going to, it's trending back. And I think what will happen is it will turn back the other way. I really do. I just, you know, what has come through the pandemic are things like you're doing, what I try to do, um, what friends in fiction do. So many people are still talking about promoting loving books and literature, but there's, there are a lot of books being published and the attention for those books is shrinking. You mm-hmm. look at book review coverage, it's 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 yeah. non-existent anymore. And you know, I call publishing BART these days. It's business meets art. Art is a huge piece of it, but if you're getting into it, the business piece is a huge part of it. And authors have to know they just can't write a book and just, oh my gosh, it's gonna be great. You know, like Carrie Bradshaw and Sex in the City. You have to be a great brand ambassador. You have to know how to increase your social media presence, but you also have to know how to be real with those that are following you and connecting with you. The real way, the real Zibi, people like to connect on that deeply personal level. And once you do, then you can get, I think, a base that's big enough to help support you. But you have to fight every day. You know, I write every single day, but the other part of the day afternoon and I work out is battling <laughs> to get attention, right. you know, in, in all the right ways. And that's a never ending, exhausting piece of the business. And you have to be aware to do that. I, I fight like mad for every one of my books, like crazy. And I think you have to do that in, in the world today, or you're not going to get another book or, you know, you're, that's, that's the way it is. Wow. I love that imagery production. And you're know, like carving the way for everything. You know, it's, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, so how do you limit your right? Like, do you write certain hours only? Are you like noon? That's it. I hit the gym and goodbye. Yeah, yeah pretty much. I'm like very early morning to, you know, to wake up like six, six thirty, caffeine. And then I write before the day kind of intrudes. And that's, I'm doing two books a year right now, summer, winter. So it's deadlines are tight wow. and I don't like to count pages. I did, it sucks the joy out of it. So I really like to stay ahead of the curve. Um, and then I do, I like work out and kind mm-hmm. of, you know, when I get physically exhausted, I become mentally alive and I kind of work through everything I've written that day. And I go back and kind of alter that and where I'm going the next day. And then it's all business the rest of the day, usually till seven or eight at night. It's, you know, podcasts and social media and book clubs and all of those things that you have to do, you have to do them. You have to. When do you hang out with Gary? Or Gary, around the corner. We, were just, we, could, we just, I told you, we just got to Palm Springs. So we had four days in the car together. And believe me, that's a lot. You know the family road trips. That's a lot of bonding. <laughs> that's a lot of hot fries and Starbucks in the car. <laughs> so it's always become like this. And he's been decorating. We've been here 
we got here yesterday, unpacked the car, and he's already put, he's putting up everything. We're putting up 10 trees. We're getting launched for the holidays. So oh it's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. Wait, so what are your next two books? Um, next two books I have a, I'm working next June is a book called Famous in a Small Town. And it's about an intergenerational friendship. Two of our very best friends in the world are um, women in their 80s who I adore and who have changed our lives so, so much because of what they've gone through in their lives as women and just how much gusto they live every day. So it's a, it's a book about a woman that um, is in her 80s in northern Michigan, and she's run the general store and post office in this tiny town her entire life. And she's famous for um, having won the cherry pit spitting contest, which is a real deal in Michigan. <laughs> they have it every year. Oh, my gosh. You, you spit a cherry stone. And she's she was the only woman at the age of 15 to ever win, and her record still stands. And her mother and grandmother always told her, a woman will break your record, but you have to live to see it. And along comes a woman in her 40s who has just broken up with her boyfriend. She's an elementary school principal that goes on a girls weekend and gets drunk on Chardonnay and goes to the cherry pit spitting contest and wins it. (laughs) And the two form a bond. And it's about two people that you never thought should even meet, much less be friends, have nothing in common that change each other's worlds. Beautiful story of friendship. And then my next, um, I'm working on my next holiday novel. That'll be out probably about this time next year. And it's set in Frankenmuth, Michigan, which is a real Bavarian town known as Christmas City, USA. And it has the largest privately owned Christmas store in the world. It's 40 acres of ornaments and trees. It's insanity. Um, And it's a great story about a woman that is a corporate executive that's fighting for her job and her life. And she comes back to try and convince her parents to sell it to sell out their um, little store to a bigger company. So it's just all it's, it's I love I'm loving it so far. So that's next year. No title yet. Oh my gosh. I'm so impressed. You're so hardworking and structured and doing all the things and just like producing, producing. It's awesome. It's it's really wonderful. Thank you. You're like the consummate entertainer. Oh my gosh, I've gone over our time. I'm sorry. I could listen to you all day. I have like 8 million more questions. I have to go read your whole backlist. I'm so excited. I want to read like all of these books. And uh, yeah, I'm just so glad I've gotten a chance to know you. And I, I feel like you're such an inspiration to authors, to me, to every, I mean, it's really, it's wonderful. You're so open and it's, it's really great. So thank you. And back and back at you. And I have to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all you do on behalf of um, authors, readers, books. And you are you're launching a new path for writers and in the publishing world today. That's much needed. Um, So congratulations on everything. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope to see you soon. (laughs) We will. Okay. bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.